0: Everybody and welcome back to the The Imagination Podcast. This is another bonus episode in the series that we've been doing on pandemic prayers. And today's prayer comes from Sarah Bournes, who is the pastor of Mission and Formation at Hope Church Midtown in New York. I came across Sarah's work, and we'll talk about this in just a few moments. But from some great friends of ours in California who said, you've got to check out this work. And they sent me this poem, which she'll read shortly, called We've All Been Exposed. And it was incredibly moving and poignant during this time. And in particular, it was fascinating to me because Sarah is in New York, you know, one of the epicenters of covid 19 and so i wanted to interview her just about where um this the feeling of this poetry came from and some of the the thoughts behind it came from but also what it was like in new york at a time such as this so uh you're going to love her poem we've all been exposed it's incredible and you'll love hearing the thoughts behind it in this interview here's sarah (laughs) borns So I came across your work as I started writing some pandemic prayers myself and then gathering them from other people, um, some good friends of ours in the Bay area in California said, Hey, some friends of some friends of ours gave us some poetry and prayers from this lady named Sarah Bournes in New York. And these are amazing. So she emailed them to me and that's how I get connected with your work and um, really beautiful and timely prayers and poems. So You're in New York. You live in New York. Um, What do you do there?
1: Yeah, I actually only moved to New York City uh, about six weeks before the stay-at-home orders. So I've now been living in New York longer in quarantine than not. Um, I was living just outside of the city for the last couple years in Nyack, a little town upstate where I was doing seminary. And Mm. then now I am in New York City on pastoral staff with a church called Hope Midtown in Mid in Midtown, New York City, and then um, I'm also teaching a couple of classes at the school where I've been in seminary.
0: So you've been writing quite a bit of poetry during this time. Was this something you did prior to this? Or is this something that like started as a result of the pandemic? How did when did you start writing poetry?
1: It's a funny question because I have been writing on and off for the last couple of years. I mean, I wrote a ton in seminary, so I think I process while writing. I love just playing with words and I love that process, but I had probably written maybe three poems before the exposed one. Um, so I know that it was from the Lord, like it was just, you know, inspiration just, um, but then since then it just has felt like the way that I want to write my way through a pandemic. And I I think seeing how it connected with people and, you know, just, I guess how accessible poetry is. And I'm, I'm not like a genius in poetry. I think I even, I even feel like I'm, you know, Dr. Susie more or like, you know, very rhymey And um, it's not, it's not something I've studied, or I think it's just really a way for me to, to process myself, but also feel like there's an accessible kind of connection to poetry. And you get to say things in a more simple way than you would if you were trying to, you know, do long form prose or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so since, since writing the exposed one, it just kind of opened a new door for me to be like, I think this is a way that I want to lean into. And then I ended up writing um, several Lent and Holy Week poems that seem to connect as well. And so now it's just like a fun puzzle for me to figure out, like, how can I communicate this thought I have, but in in a poetic um, and even like beautiful, thoughtful way, but keep it simple. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's actually been like a an interesting almost like putting a puzzle together.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. And actually, I think that's been the experience of a a lot of people, um, myself included, um, but definitely others as well who have um, written things during this time, including authors who write very regularly and and are published. Um, But they've sent me These prayers or these poems said, Wow, that was like so good for my soul to be able to process in this way.
1: Yeah, we only can take in smaller nuggets. Like we're not reading maybe as many, you know, deep thoughts, but if something can be conveyed more simply and just go right to the heart, I think that's really helpful right now. And I do believe like crisis is just sparking a lot of creativity. I mean, I see friends that are you know, baking more. And there's just a ton of creativity right now for a lot of reasons. I think just the fact that there is a bit more focus or more, I mean, I also feel very distracted, but I think, you know, maybe there's just a way that we can take some pressure off of ourselves in creativity and, you know, maybe some new freedom to just try something that might be different and foreign, but go for it. So yeah, I love seeing how much creativity is being developed in this time.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's interesting. I think how it sums up our creativity. It's like we're diving not into our own feelings, but um, in some ways, the feelings of those around us as much as we can know that, or maybe we could even say like the feel of the space where we're living. So being in New York, I'm curious, and it's fascinating that you moved there to the city like six weeks before this happened. It's crazy. What was it like to be in like one of the epicenters in the world of this pandemic? How would you describe the general feel of the city? And maybe that changed throughout the weeks, I guess. But what was that like?
1: yeah I think the fear was a really a real thing. Um, you know I I am a follower of Jesus. I have a lot of trust and I think even a lot of courage, but it was pretty gripping and you know hearing the sirens increasing and it was actually Holy Week when the sirens were at their loudest and heaviest wow. and I remember it was actually Good Friday night. That they were just constant and it was so sobering and dark. So even the reality of it all around me, even though I felt safe personally, I think just the heaviness of what I knew was going on, um, all around, it fueled a lot of wanting to, to lament and grieve. And so a lot of my work has been from the lamenting standpoint. Mm. Yeah, it, it has decreased, um, as far as what I can feel in terms of just the, the number of sirens and and even just having spring it, it's been just cold and rainy and literally dark and wet like a long winter yeah. and but just in recent days it's starting to feel like spring and be warmer. And I think that that's taken a load off and there's kind of a sense of like, you know, breath of fresh air and we can be outside and feel a little freer. But you know, the city is just, it's a harsh and dense, heavy place to begin with. Like even the six weeks that I was there and I'd been coming into the city for the last two years really regularly, but it's a harder place to be if you didn't grow up there, which is most people. Um, It takes a lot to just not feel like your sensory overload is just all consuming. And so it's, it's a, interesting place to live in normal times and the reality also of it's like a tale of two cities there's parts of manhattan that seem hardly affected and Hmm. um, that's where i live it's you know people are able to stay safe at home and order food in and but it's because we're dependent on the other half of the city um that you know has a much more difficult time and i have friends in queens and know of you know several churches in the bronx and in brooklyn that are just being wrecked and it's it's so humbling to see you know how their their pastors are coming around their people in ways that you know our people are more struggling emotionally, um, socially, you know, spiritually, relationally. But yeah. to see just the gravity of the physical needs and just the yeah, our realities are really different. There's struggle all over, but it's it's very physical, practical, logistical. Um, you know the nitty gritty struggles of some of our friends, and and then our people are really struggling in you know family and marriage, and um, yeah, emotional loneliness is is probably the biggest thing for a lot of Manhattanites, whereas it's the opposite of loneliness and, you know, it's just survival in a lot of other places.
0: I think it's interesting how you're talking about even neighboring cities, how the reality is experienced differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this has been one of the, at least later on, um, one of the tricks of this time or, you know, one of the struggles of this time uh, when it doesn't directly Impact people. I think um, it's so easy for us to remove ourselves, um, to distance ourselves, and to almost act like this is not, you know, a, a current reality because it's not impacting us directly. And it seems, in a way, that we're now entering this new phase of this pandemic, like you were kind of just talking about. And we're seeing places are reopening um, in the U.S. in particular. There's been a lot of civil unrest in the past few weeks. And I'm wondering how you're processing this new phase of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I guess, you know, like I said, a tale of two cities in New York. I think it's a tale of two countries or just, you know, there's those who it really is impacting a lot of places in a you know, in the actual sense of the virus. But it's certainly impacting you know, economy and, and again, just the the loneliness and the unrest at home and things like that. So I do get it that there's just um, a tension of, even though we're going through the same thing, we're all going through something really, really different. And what would work right now in, you know, the Midwest is not going to work in New York and what would work in California is not going to work in the South. And, and I just see so much about how we all have such different opinions. And (laughs) uh, I mean, that's always the case, you know, Everything is fraught with like different uh, different ways of making decisions and different opinions that are sometimes so so strong and you know we just think that our way is the only way and the right way and Mm. recognizing that there's probably a number of different ways and uh, and so many things that need to be tackled that there's just not going to be one right way and gosh to give our leaders um, some grace um, and Mm. certainly to pray for wisdom to know how to localize a lot of the decisions. I think it will just need to come down to, yeah, allowing local decisions to be made and and even leaving things up to people. Um, I I think, you know, it's going to be a long time before churches reopen in New York city, Hmm. Um, but it could be fairly soon for other places. And so just letting people off the hook, like, okay, you do what you feel is best for your church. And maybe that looks like moving into house churches. Maybe that looks like, Hmm you know, still gathering over Zoom, but having, you know, a few more touch points, or maybe you can bring your church back together, but I think it's going to have to be up to the individual people on what they're willing to engage in at the moment. And everyone's going to have a different way of feeling that, you know, what's right for them and what God is leading them to do. And so there's just going to have to be a lot of grace Mm. (laughs) for ourselves, for others.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's such a great word, grace, that mm you know, it's how we need to move forward. It's it's interesting It struck me recently as I've been thinking about kind of stages of grief. So doing chaplaincy work at the university here will often hold memorials unless explicitly requested they're non-religious memorials. And so basically we provide a, a place for grief for students and faculty. Uh, but one of the things we always talk about are the stages of grief and how they're not kind of this nice, neat, line, um, but we bounce around, right, between fear and denial and anger and back to just sadness and then back to denial and all these different things. And the passage that's yeah. been hitting me lately is from First Thessalonians where it says, you know, that we grieve, but we don't grieve as people who don't have hope. Yeah. And I think that that might be part of the task of the church right now is to learn how to gather grief in whatever that looks like. And, For some places, they didn't experience what a New York has experienced in terms of health, but a lot of people might have lost jobs um, or lost their business. And so there's a stage of grief. And uh, to me, it strikes me as the task of the church right now to learn how to grieve, but with hope. Um, And I think that part of how this happens is... through the shaping of our imaginations, like I recently heard Alan Davis talking about how really um, the word when we read about the heart, probably the closest picture that we have for that in our language is actually imagination. The The name of this podcast is Theo Imagination and learning how to have our imagination shaped. And one of the things I noticed about your poetry is how much of it was deeply rooted through biblical imagination and narrative. Like I remember reading, uh, it might have been on your Instagram or something, and you had a picture of New York and, uh, you know, how lonely lies the city. And I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty powerful. Um, yeah. How have you found your imagination shaped around the biblical narrative? Like, has that just kind of welled up from time to time that you're like, "Wow, that's (laughs) that was so easily accessible." Uh, You know, how does that how has that worked for you?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. Like, welled up. I mean, I was literally just reading Lamentations, and you know, we always go to the Lamentations three. Great is thy faithfulness, and His mercies are new every morning. But recognizing right you know that's like three verses in the middle of an entire is it six chapters mm-hmm. lamentations where you know chapter after chapter it's just lament and and how significant it is to know like so my phrase was like we need to learn the language of lament like it is an actual you know practice it's a spiritual discipline to learn and to speak that language mm-hmm. of lament so that we can also speak the language of hope like i think it's true that you know we can have joy to the extent that we can grieve, like our emotional bandwidth can expand and we can, you know, I I find that laughter right now is so much sweeter when, you know, it's juxtaposed, I guess, with the lamenting and the weeping and, you know, how great it can feel. Like I just had an hour long phone conversation with my brother and we laughed the entire time. And it was just like this Sweet, sweet thing, and you know, but then there's the lament too, and so I think we're all just expanding our our grief and joy kind of bandwidth, yeah. you know, like it's it's all getting broader, right? But yeah, certainly the the times that I've been able to spend like more significant time in scripture, that has really informed. I mean, scripture has always informed my. thinking, my processing. And I've really loved trying to take a scriptural truth. Like a couple days ago, I wrote one on Hebrews 12. I was reading Hebrews 12 and just thinking about that idea of running a race and, um, you know, but for the joy set before him, Jesus was able to go through the pain. And so wanting to take that language that we're so familiar with in Hebrews 12, yeah, and then see how it could be, you know, tweaked and maybe even memorable. Like the thing with rhyming poetry is that it sticks with you longer. And I find myself saying some of the phrases, which might be weird, but like, you know, it, it just is a, a, a memory tool to, yeah. to get scripture into us, but maybe without having a lot of the, baggage or the these and nows yeah. or whatever yeah scripture i it's actually the best way for me to have like a writing prompt is to think of like during holy week i was using several of that was the last 24 hours of jesus's life that i wrote you know the garden the upper room the the tomb i did on saturday but i would take a phrase like one of the phrases was that they stripped jesus yeah. they stripped him and so then i just talked about basically how we all are feeling stripped right now and and mm. our narrative right now with jesus's narrative i think was poignant for me to, you know, ponder through. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I, I think, you know, part of the purpose of the church calendar, and I didn't grow up really around the church calendar, but um, in recent years, why I've been so drawn to that is it's the intersection of our life with the life of Jesus, just exactly what you're just talking about. And, you know, sometimes I think people are nervous of that because they're like, well, yeah, but you're saying the same thing over and over again, but it's our lives that change, right? Mm. We can kind of fasten our own story and the shifting nature of our story to that of Jesus, which um, it's just, you know, the Mm -hmm. fact that this has happened during Holy Week and the way that you've done this, I actually think might point a way forward for us, or at least, you know, put a spotlight on. Well, yes, this is actually what it's been intended to do all along. And so, super grateful for your work. By the way, where can people find um, the things that you've been writing?
1: Well, at the moment, only on Instagram and Facebook, but I am feeling the urge to start a blog of some sort. Awesome. Uh, but I actually, since what I write is fairly brief, I've just been doing it on Instagram and thinking that, you know, that's a good place for it right now. So for now, that's where you can find me, Sarah Bournes.
0: That's great. So I, I will put a link. Um, I'm putting all these prayers on my website, which is philodd.com. <laughs> um, and so I'll put a link to your Instagram and Facebook, if that's okay. Yeah, great. So that way people can search for your, search for your work. And then, yeah, you can let us, if you end up launching a, a website or whatever, let us know and we'll We'll definitely post that as well. You have this poem, this prayer called We've Been Exposed, and uh, it's really powerful. I wonder if you could read that for us now.
1: I would love to. We've all been exposed, not necessarily to the virus, though maybe, who knows. We've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us, exposing our weak sides, exposing our dark sides. Exposing what normally lies far beneath the surface of our souls, hidden by the invisible masks we wear, now exposed by the paper masks we can't hide far enough behind. Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, our obsession with control, our compulsion to hoard, our protection of self. Corona is peeling back our layers, tearing down our walls, revealing our illusions, Leveling our best laid plans. Corona is exposing the gods we worship our health, our hurry, our sense of security, our favorite lies, our secret lusts, our misplaced trust. Corona is calling everything into question. What is the church without a building? What is my worth without an income? How do we plan without certainty? How do we love despite risk? Corona is exposing me. My mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my careless words, my fragile nerves. We've all been exposed, our junk laid bare, our fears made known, the band aid torn, the masquerade done. So, what now? What's left? Clean hands, clear eyes, tender hearts. What Corona reveals, God can heal. Come, Lord Jesus. Have mercy on us.
0: Amen. Sarah, thanks for being on here and uh, allowing me to interview like this and also just reading that incredible work. Um, Super grateful for you. And uh, we'll be looking for more.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Phil. So good.
0: Be sure to head over to philodd.com where you can read the poem and also find links to Sarah's work on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time. Grace and peace.